I do want to remind us tonight as we once again turn to the scriptures that uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him that all scripture is God-breathed. That familiar verse, I think most of us can quote it, we know it. Uh, But he goes on to speak about the usefulness of scripture. And just for me to read that, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And then he gives us a list. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And then there's the purpose clause that the man of God, that the woman of God in application may be complete equipped for every good work. And so as we come to the scriptures again tonight, and uh, we're going to continue in our study in 1 John, very mindful of the usefulness of this gift that God has provided of scripture and our understanding also of what he tells us about the work of his spirit, uh, equipping us and enabling us and leading us uh, not only into fruitfulness, but also molding us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. And so won't you bow your heads with me? I do want to greet you, of course, and welcome you. Thank you for joining us for this short study tonight. So, Lord, we thank you for the gift of Scripture, for making it clear to us that we are in need. And we confess, I confess that need, uh, Lord, to be taught, uh, to be corrected, to be trained. And, Lord, even to be continually equipped, to be better equipped in the task of ministry. And, Lord, every good work, even if that good work is uh, being transformed and conformed to the likeness of Jesus And so as we turn again to this letter uh, this evening, I do pray in a very practical way you would help us to understand it, but Lord also live it out in applying it in our daily life in the various contexts that we find ourselves in. And so looking to you, praying for the work of your spirit in Jesus name. Amen. So do turn in your Bible, and it's uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11, continuing just in the next passage uh, where we had been last week and continuing uh, this evening. And I'd like us to tackle uh, verse 11 down to verse 18. And uh, John writes, he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. This is nothing new. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. Of course, he's reaching back into the Old Testament, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not uh, love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So as you can see tonight, the topic before us is we're going to be speaking about love and uh, uh, want us to give some a serious thought, and as I indicated in my prayer, this is certainly a passage that has tremendous application in our lives, uh, individually, uh, wherever we are, and I'll be looking at that towards the end of the study 
um, as well. I did want to begin by making a statement. I'd really like us to, to think a little bit about what we read in Scripture and what we observe uh, around us. And, and the statement I want to begin with is, is a statement of uh, a, a description. And my description is this. Every, everybody, everybody, people around us, uh, people anywhere, people everywhere, both Christian and non-Christian, has the capacity to love in some way. I want you to think about that. And uh, do you agree? Do you disagree? Well, uh, let me give you some examples and these different capacities, these different ways that that we as people uh, express some kind of affection or love. Well, there is what Solomon identifies uh, in the book of Proverbs, the way of a man with a maiden. Proverbs 30 verse 19. Well, what's he speaking about? He's speaking about the affection, uh, the attraction, the love that there is between a man and a woman. He's speaking about romance. He's speaking about that attraction, that, that sexual attraction. Uh, these things are real. Uh, they, they are realities that people seek after and have sought after regardless of culture, regardless of religious grouping. So that's common. That's common to all people. At another level, perhaps in another way, we could say there is also affection. And what I'm thinking of here is the, is the kind of love that one would express in the context of for family. We, we all love our family and uh, we love our country. We could say we love South Africa. Uh, we love our particular cultural uh, heritage or c- cultural grouping. And certainly since I've come to live in Pretoria, I've discovered that most people in Pretoria have a solid affection for the Blue Bull Blue Bulls rugby team. But that's love at a different level. It's not the same as what Solomon described in Proverbs. Then I believe there's another kind of expression of love, and, and we could call that friendship. And it's the kind of love that David had for Jonathan and Jonathan for David. It's love that draws people into a kind of companionship, a, a, a loyalty, a love that's, that would be based on, on admirable qualities, a recognition that, that I like this person and, and this person likes me and we kind of connect and we see and, and we have each other's backs. Often a friendship also you find that is built on common interests. Now my point that I'm trying to hit you in getting you to think is that if everybody loves someone, somewhere, somehow, and John tells us, and I want to quote from chapter 2 and verse 10, which is uh, just in the previous passage that we tackled, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Then we could conclude that everybody must be a Christian. If everybody loves, and John says whoever loves his brothers in the light, then most, if not all, people are Christians. Now, of course, we have to say, is my logic correct? My logic is not correct. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me. Uh, don't think that I've lost the plot. It's not like that. Because the issue is, the issue that John is identified and speaking to you, speaking to us about, it all depends on how you understand 
and express love. It's not any kind of love that he's speaking about in in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10. It's a certain kind of love. It's a specific kind of love. And that is something that we're going to explore a little bit later uh, this evening. But before we get there, my first point that I want to raise is then, okay, well, let's ask the question. How does the world understand and express love? Now, again, uh, no need to be a great theologian. Just uh, look around and observe how people in the world relate and uh, perhaps even look at yourself uh, in, in, in the study and, and ask yourself in which particular category you fit. Well, I want to go to an extreme case and uh, quote just something, a statistic that I did just find on the Internet. But I'm sure most of you are aware, but if not, did you know that family murders, family murders are a frequent occurrence in South Africa, and I'm sure in many other places in the world. Now, let me quote just the statistic. It's, 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 it's not recent. It's a fairly old statistic. It said in the space of 10 years, 456 cases have been reported. The toll has increased from about 25 cases in 1999 to more than 60 occurrences at the end of last year. That's speaking in 2008. Now, I want us to think a little bit about some of those situations where family murders have taken place. And those of us who read the news, I'm sure many of you do, probably more so than I do. But there was a case reported just very recently of a family murder of a mother who took the life of her three children having relocated to New Zealand. Now, think, think about that family. Think about those families where this kind of tragic uh, event has taken place. What, what would it have been like? in days and weeks and, and months and, and let's even say years before that particular incident of the killing taking place. Now, I would speculate, and I, I believe I'm right, and, and even thinking about this family in New Zealand, I am pretty certain that, that in some instances, and certainly that instances, in most instances, these are normal families. They live a normal life. Uh, normal families who have differences and, and from time to time disagree and, and have some kind of conflict. But more than likely, in inverted commas, they loved each other. They loved each other. They lived with each other. I'm sure the kids looked forward to mom coming home from work, dad coming home from work. I'm sure that they would uh, play together in the garden if the kids were little with a ball, boys Cricket, girls, these or well, cricket too, I guess soccer, whatever it is. But but they would be a normal family. Now my point, the point that I'm trying to make and get us to think about, is though at a particular point in time we read in Genesis, Cain killed Abel. We all know that the world knows it. I'm not so sure that weeks and perhaps let's extend it to months and years before. I'm pretty sure that those two brothers, in the context of their family, had their days filled with many expressions and and, and experiences of love, certain kind of love. They were two brothers. 
And we know, we know in the world that we live, we know in our own context, uh, when we speak about family, uh, blood is thicker than water. There's a certain loyalty that we have for each other in the family. And so I have no doubt that, that these two brothers would have played with each other. They would have protected each other. They would have had their uh, uh, skirmishes and, and differences. But like every other person in the world since then and today, I believe that there would have been some kind of understanding, some kind of expectation and expression of love. The ways of expressing their loves, their love at different levels like the rest of the people in the world. So I went to my Oxford Dictionary, little Oxford Dictionary, and uh, to see uh, how it describes or defines this word love. And these are the synonyms. Uh, love can also be understood as fondness, warm affection, uh, sexual passion. But I want to go a little bit deeper than the Oxford Dictionary, and I want you to think about the world, and I want to suggest to you observation, and that which we will see from this passage as well, definitely from this passage, I would suggest that the world understands love as something which always has a mutual or self-interest. That's, that's the way love is understood and expressed generally speaking, in the world. Well, let me give you some examples. A husband's love or a husband will love his wife as long as his wife loves him and vice versa. The wife will probably say, well, I love my husband uh, because my husband loves me. There's uh, an understanding. There, there's a kind of a, uh, an agreement that we have mutual benefit and therefore there is this commitment that we bring to each other. Uh, putting it a little bit more crudely or bluntly, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back and we live happily ever after. Or as I've heard in many instances, uh, conducting many weddings, the advice that flies around from relatives and friends to couples is they tell them it's just a 50-50 arrangement. You bring your bit and, and your partner brings uh, her bit or his bit and, and you'll be happy, happy and live happily ever after. But, but you see, do you see the understanding? Love occurring in a context where there's mutual or self-benefit. Now the example, uh, boyfriend. <laughs> Repeatedly, I, don't, I think this is a well-known approach. will profess his undying love uh, verbally for his girlfriend, as long as she's prepared to meet his sexual needs. And uh, if not, uh, soon uh, finds his way on his bicycle and leaves her forevermore. And we can go, there, go to a different level where two friends are real buddies, as long as shared interests are being served. So let's go back to Cain, Cain and Abel. I think Cain was okay with his little brother. Up until a particular point, particular season, when he felt his brother had showed him up. That's what we read here. Abel, Abel was too much in Cain's face. Have a look at the 12th verse of chapter 3. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so, so Cain was, was a message, at least Abel was a message to Cain about what 
He ought to have been like what, what God wanted him to be like. So godly Abel was too much of a reminder to Cain of his wickedness. And so he became more and more jealous of Cain, eventually hating him so much, he killed him. How does the world experience and express love? And I want to suggest to you tonight that there is a love. This love that I'm speaking of is present and active in the, in the world. It is a love with limits. We can put it differently. Sometimes we call this kind of love conditional love. It's conditional love. I will love you as long as you are of benefit to me. If not, you're done. I will love you as long as you meet my expectations. I will love you as long as you not too much in my face. Well, understandably, when this kind of love fails, it turns to hate. When this kind of love fails, it exposes the heart of the individual where self is securely seated on the throne. Can you understand John's plea then in verse 12? Writing to these little children, he calls them, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Is, is he just referring to Cain's act of murder? I don't think so. I, I think he's urging the believers to go beyond a worldly, a distorted I think corrupted, corrupted and self-centered understanding, expression and experience of love. He's warning them. Dear friends, be warned. Because when, and this is now just an inclusion in the verse, if you pursue righteousness in the same way that Abel pursued righteousness and you don't go with the flow of the ungodly world as he didn't go with the flow of his ungodly brother, you may find yourself unpopular. And so he says in verse 13, Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Matthew Henry notes on that particular verse, he says, The great serpent himself reigns as the god of this world. Wonder not then that the serpentine world hates and hisses at you who belong to the seed of the woman that is to bruise the serpent's head. And so really, in summary, what I'm wanting to say in a single sentence is that in answer to the question, how does the world experience and express love? I think it is characterized and dominated by mutual and self-interest. It's very self-centered uh, in its expression. But I want to go on secondly now and ask the question then, how does John tell us here, how should the Christian, how should the Christian understand and express love? Now this, this has bearing to us. We, we profess to be believers. We gather together as the church of God, uh, corporately worshiping, worshiping together on a Sunday, perhaps as you listen to this in a group together in a home fellowship. Well, God provides some very specific and helpful insights to us through John on how we, we believers, ought to express how we ought to understand, and, and I, would, I would say even how we should aspire to express love in the relationships that we have. Now, since the world has corrupted the meaning and expression of love through the sinful nature, 
I would like to now refer to Christian love as pure love. This, this, is, this is what God is describing. This is in some measure what should characterize the believer's life. This is what God challenges us to pursue. And he says a few things about this pure love. And I want to take them one by one. And the first one on the outline is pure love is not natural. It's not natural. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm saying that this pure love is not a virtue that you're born with. It, it, it's not something you have by nature. Uh, pure love is not even something you can decide to have because you feel you want to be a better person and you want to love in a better way. John states here in verse 14 that anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, let me add my... my, my uh, Uh, clarification in there. Whoever does not have pure love remains in death. So what he's saying here is he's affirming that naturally speaking, all of us, all men and women are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. And of course, we know that from Ephesians chapter 2. He really is Referring back or digging back, pointing us back into what we would describe today as original sin, the doctrine of original sin. Understanding that our lives, when we are born, when we enter this world, our lives do not begin with a neutral, clean slate. Every human being from conception, David even tells us, starts off as being affected by sin in everything we do and say. And, of course, meaning it, we, we are affected in the way that we express love and therefore the corrupted uh, uh, demonstration and expression of love that you see in the world. However, however, this is the good news. This is the great news of the gospel. He's confirming the supernatural nature of becoming a Christian. This is not just something that you do on the fly. By saying that Christians are those who know they have passed from death to life. Something supernatural has taken place. Verse 14 is indicating that becoming a Christian involves something like a resurrection. Coming to life from being dead. And so we understand that from a a broader context in the Bible. To be a believer, you need to be born from above. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. To be a Christian, Paul describes, of course, that wonderful action in in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are made alive in Christ. There's the intervention. There's this this, uh, bringing to life spiritually by the Spirit. And... Evidence, all of this evidence of the supernatural work of God. And he's raising it because not only does God do this work in the life of a believer, but it begins to show. So when we look at verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life. He has the evidence because we love our brothers. Not with corrupted love, with a different kind of love, with pure love. You will express, in some measure, the kind of pure love which, in fact, is characteristic of God. One of the communicable attributes 
for us made in the image of God, the repairing of that which was distorted and broken and corrupted and becoming a believer and being sanctified, we, we, we are being restored and that this kind of, of, uh, the, to this kind of love uh, John speaks of over here. And so the evidence of pure love in fact becomes proof that you are indeed a true child of God. Or put bluntly and negatively, verse 15, very bluntly and negatively, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Do you see something of the strength, the weight of this passage that we ought to be thinking and the way that we relate to people? Having, have, have you indeed been born again? Because if you have been born again, the way you relate to other people or to, to the people around you and around me as, as I live should change. Which leads me to my second point. Not only is pure love uh, not natural, it is also seen to be expressed sacrificially. You see, unlike corrupted, corrupted love, which is selfish and self-centered, pure love has elements and should work towards selflessness. So we can answer the question, do you want to know what love is? Well, we don't need to speculate. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Let that sink in. Let it sink in. You know what love is? I, I was challenged. The New Testament often speaks of love, and it's very interesting that it's often spoken of in the context of the cross. Demonstration of sacrificial love. Well-known verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only once and His only Son. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And what did He do? He gave Himself for me. Didn't say you scratch my back a little and I'll scratch your back and we'll reach some kind of mutual arrangement. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, that's Romans 5 verse 8 or 1 John 4 verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So can you see that the, the, the very nature of the love of God, we see it demonstrated to us at the cross, uh, permeates self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice toward those who are undeserving, and he still does it. And the challenge from this passage is, do, do we see, do I see how different this is to the way of Cain and his father, the devil? But there's a third element to this pure love, and I uh, want to speak just for a few minutes on what I see in verse 16. Pure love spreads. You can't contain it. You can't confine it. That, that, that's essentially what I see. The very nature and essence of this pure love is that it cannot and does not remain 
isolated. Have a look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He gives to us, and that which we receive, we give to others. Often taught, that principle is often taught in the scriptures, in the New Testament. So what we need to see here is it is a mistake to see the love of Christ or the love of God merely as an example to us. It's more than that. Jesus acts on behalf of others. Substitutionary atonement. And then when that redemption that has been accomplished is applied, it, it touches, it affects, it changes the life of the person where it has been applied. And so as it touches and affects the life, it ought to spread to others even to the ends of the earth. It spreads to the ones who have passed from death to life. Those who have benefited can do no other than share it with others. There's one more. So there's a, a fourth aspect to this pure love, and I've, I've, I've simply called it, pure love shows generous compassion. In the same way that God loves, by reaching out to the undeserving, us sinners, the children of God, those who have passed from death to life, are to reach out to those also in need. And so generosity, uh, which is evident in the nature of God, ought to be present in those who have been born again. So verse 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, his brother, those who are fellow believers, those in the community of faith, and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Understand that? Do you see what I'm saying? There's compassion. We, we see the needs of those around us. And if we have, there's a, a, an element of, of sharing, of giving. And so more and more, uh, I, in fact, I've come to see that, uh, and, and praying that God would help me, that grace is very closely connected to generosity. These two, in fact, are inseparable. They go hand in hand. It's no wonder that John urges here, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Well, I have a third point, and I want to spend a little bit of time now, not long, I want to spend a little bit of time in application. And I've simply called it implications for Christian living. So it's one thing for us to talk and discuss, and I hope you will discuss uh, with others uh, something about what we've looked at tonight in terms of how the world experiences and expresses love and, and how we ought to experience and express love. And, and there's a difference. There's a, there's a marked difference. But now, how, how does that impact anything? And I, I have, I think it's three points that I want to raise over here. Number one, number one, looking at this passage, understanding this passage, and, 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 and measuring our lives against this passage, if you're a believer, you should be filled with assurance assurance. The presence of pure love, the presence of the sacrificial love is a test of true faith in Christ. It's a test. Have you really been born again? Has there been some receiving of grace in your life? And so a lifestyle of pure love in some measure is an indication, not 
on its own. It's an indication among some of the other things that we know. And so I want, to, I want you, you to be encouraged. If, if you detect as a believer, someone who professes faith in Christ, if you can detect this, this kind of love in your life, in those points that I've mentioned, you can be in a position of having some kind of assurance of your faith. If on the other hand there's no evidence, then it's back to the drawing board. It's back to going on your knees before God and, and looking to Him to, 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 to really change your heart as, as, as you seek Him, as you repent from your sin and, and, and believe in Him. So that's the first application. Second area of application is in the Christian home. It's very difficult for us to hide who we are in the context of the family. And so, in the family, amongst the family, uh, is the evidence of this kind of love that we show toward each other. Patience, kindness, forgiveness, not holding grudges, not rude, not self-seeking, humble, you know, all those descriptions, all that which is described for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Do we operate in the family on the basis of corrupt love, selfish mutual interest, or pure love? Even toward those who work for us. In the workplace, in the home, wherever. How do we treat them? The patterns of generosity, sacrificing time, attitude, money. And then thirdly, the church. Folk, relationships in general. We ought to always be doing better in the context of the church. Not being like those in the world. Not being like Cain and his father, the devil. Not being like those who only pursue self-interest or mutual benefit. No, our relationships in the church should reflect something of the sacrificial love that Jesus showed toward us. Caring for each other, and then even going beyond that, deliberately and intentionally impacting the world in missions and evangelism. And so the bottom line, and I have two uh, paragraph sentences to conclude. If hatred and self-serving love characterizes your life, if, if, is that it? Then Cain is your model and brother, and the devil is your father. Strong words, but is it true? Sadly, that would be evidence of being in a state of spiritual death. If on the other hand, if pure love, love characterizes your life, you're part of the true church. Your model is Christ and God is your father. Self-sacrifice will be evident in your relationships when you are a believer, a selflessness, and there's a confidence, assurance that you are destined for heaven. And as much as this passage is very practical, it's also very challenging. And to end with the question, which one, which one is it for you? And Lord, I search my own heart, and I know that much, much can be learned, much growth can be taken place, taking place. 
And Lord, just the amazement of your grace and generosity, I pray that it would impact us as believers more and more to show this kind of love toward others as well. Help us as a church, help us in our families, in communities, just to show not that which is of the world and of Cain and of his father, the devil, but that which is of Christ and his father and our father. So bless us, be with us, and continue, Lord, to grow us in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are some questions, and please uh, see them on the screen. Uh, do take a, a shot with your camera, and uh, these may be useful in some discussion, just uh, looking at some of these uh, matters that I've raised from this passage tonight. So God bless you. Trust you have a good evening, and uh, looking forward to weekend ministry as we worship together.